Ruth chapter 3, Ruth and Boaz at the threshing floor. One day Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing room floor. Wash, put on perfume and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went down to lie at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of my family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than which you showed me earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you what you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, that is good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognised. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl that you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came home to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? She told her everything that Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. This is the end of the reading, Ruth chapter 3. So we've been working through Ruth. Kirsty's done a fine job with chapters 1 and 2, and uh, I have the um, task of working out what's going on on the threshing room floor. Um, 
But it seems that Naomi and Ruth are moving to a place where they're starting to recognise God's mercy. Things are starting to change for them from their desperate uh, years. Um, the clouds are breaking up. Um, in chapter 1, Naomi said, The Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. But they're now moving um, to a sense that um, God is brewing something for them. There's a pro providence that's growing. And so we find Naomi and Ruth hatching a bit of a plot. To um, They've had their eye on Boaz. And um, so Naomi directs the younger youth, Ruth, into uh, what she should do. Now, you will know um, our very dear friend Pauline Kelly. Um, and Pauline and I share um, something uh, of her... Uh, well, our mothers share um, a relationship from when they were nurses. They worked together in the um, Infectious Diseases Hospital uh, at Fairfield and they shared a room uh, and they were good friends. Um, but it just so happens that um, they were going to St Jude's Carlton together and they both had their eyes on a young um, curate called Lance Shilton. And uh, I believe there was a little bit of to and fro. There's a bit of, uh, they were hatching plots. They were putting on perfume and uh, they were trying to catch his attention. Now, uh, the history is that it was Pauline's mother who caught the eye of Lance Shilton and, uh, and ended up marrying him. But there was hatching of plots, there was flirting, there was perfume, and uh, there were, you know, best outfits. Um, whichever way you look at it, uh, there's a plot brewing in this reading, and Naomi and Ruth are planning to, you could say, shake a little bit of tail feather in Boaz's direction. Um, Boaz has resurfaced in the lives of Naomi and Ruth. Um, He's been identified as a possible kinsman redeemer for their family. But not only that, he is obviously top, ma top shelf marriage material. And in such a situation, uh, it was a little desperate for these girls. Well, girls do what they've got to do. So what does Naomi instruct Ruth to do? She says, wash, it's a good start. Perfume yourself and put on your best outfit. Now, many of us would have been through marriage proposals, um, not all of us, but it can be a, an interesting experience. Uh, let me ask you about your own. Was it, um, did someone approach you um, out of the blue? Was it bold? Was it unexpected? Um, or did you have to nail him or her down to, um, to create a a booth experience, as I call it. That's uh, Boaz and Ruth, as in Brangelina, Brad and Angelina. So they'll be known as booth. So what was it like becoming engaged? Um, I had a friend uh, who was a very, very dear friend um, for uh, 32 years who went to bed one night and didn't wake up in the morning. Um, great tragedy 
three little children and a wife, um, and uh, a horrible experience for them. And in the, the, the days after his death, I would go up and uh, mow the lawn for his widow and uh, do what I could around their house. Um, and after a while, the um, mowing lawn became coming for coffee and coming for coffee became, well, why don't you stay for dinner? And it was kind of like, yeah, okay, uh, I can do that. Um, and then it was like, well, perhaps, why don't you stay for a movie? Now, it started to get a little awkward when uh, I went there to watch a movie and all the chairs in the lounge room had been removed and there was just a couch in front of the television. Um, and uh, so I was a little slow on the uptake, but I realised what was going on. And um, I didn't go up for any more movies or mowing lawn or anything else. But um, the, um, maybe six months later, something like that, I got a phone call one day and the date was July, uh, sorry, not July, February the 29th. Um, and you may or may not know that February the 29th, there's a tradition which goes back to Ireland or the UK, which is called um, you know, Bachelor's Day or Bridesmaid's Privilege. And it's the one day every four years that um, a woman could propose to a prospective husband. And he was obliged to say yes or pay a fine. Anyway, so I was giving a surprise to answer the phone and here it was this lady, but even more surprised when she asked if I would marry her. Uh, I said to her, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Uh, please don't find me. Um, and she said, yes, I thought that's what you'd say. And uh, that was the end of the call, but I admired her boldness and her spirit. And uh, she was doing what she thought she needed to do after a great disaster. What we see at the beginning of Ruth 3 is Naomi and Ruth seizing God's hope and providence and taking matters into their own hands. Let's read what happens next. Verse 5. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. So I guess the crescendo of this book has been reached at this moment. And you can imagine the tension and uh, the anxiety, uh, the excitement in Ruth, how is Boaz going to react? She'd snuck up on him, was lying at his feet. 
he wakes up and she says, hi, it's Ruth. Throw the doona over me. Ruth had put it all on the line. Now this could go one of three ways. It's possible that Boaz could have spat the dummy. Um, he could have had Ruth stoned uh, for inviting fornication. Um, let's face it, uh, Boaz could have taken advantage of her. Um, Ruth seemed willing. Um, he'd been on the beers, as Dan Andrews would say. Uh, in that way, uh, he might have a responsibility to her if they'd slept together. Um, the other outcome is that he could calmly respect um, Ruth's wishes and the purity that both of them carry. Um, and he could, in that moment, seek a righteous way forward, one that was pleasing to God. Um, so a lot hinges on this moment. So what follows is only what I can describe as the most beautiful conversation in the circumstances. Um, there she is in the dark of night. Um, she's washed, she's perfumed, and she has her best nightie on, lying at the feet of the man that she loved and respected, a man that she could dream of a future with after a dark and uh, difficult past. And there he was, an older guy past his prime, surprised by the boldness of a far younger woman that he no doubt loved and admired from afar. He wouldn't have considered himself a chance. So Boaz replies, the Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. I will do for you all that you ask. There is one who is nearer kinsman than I. If he wants to redeem you good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. Well, Boaz is a boss. And what a way to react, my goodness. Um, there's a hint that he's already been doing a little homework on Ruth because he's realised that as kinsman redeemer, he's second in line. There's another fella who has first dibs. So old Boaz has been doing a little planning himself. It seems that faced with the most tempting situation, that the godliness and purity of Ruth and Boaz stand them in good stead. So I want to look at what matters to us uh, from this story. Now clearly uh, the main uh, message is that older guys still have got what it takes and there'll be no um, surprise that women find them attractive. So let me put that out there firstly. But really, uh, I think the first thing to note is that purity matters in God's plans. And my take on this passage is that Naomi and Ruth weren't trying to entrap Boaz. 
while they weren't averse to using Ruth's feminine wiles, their estimation of the character of Boaz is accurate. He's a godly man and they sense his affection for Ruth. Ruth also backs her own purity and her confidence in the goodness of God. The bold plan, while risky, stands up under the sexual tension and temptation. Ruth's invitation about sharing the doona isn't an invitation for, an for a sexual encounter. It's for Boaz to take her under his skirt, or as Kirsty put it last week, to take her under his wing, uh, as the Lord takes us under his wing. Now these days, obviously, the idea of sexual purity seems consigned to fireside chats with our grandmother, uh, sitting under a crocheted blanket. It's old fashioned, it's a relic of a long gone era. And the view is that that would restrict our freedom. So it's probably bad for us. But let's remind ourselves about what Paul said about immorality. Corinthians 6.13 says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against their own body. And 1 Peter uh, chapter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And it seems the effect of sexual purity or sexual sin is sometimes um, very hard to measure. It has the ability to affect us deeply. It's not like other sin. So if I jumped on a, a tram going down Glenfrey Road and hijacked the tram, the effect and the consequences would play out um, uh, in a very measurable and fast way. Uh, I would immediately uh, know I was in trouble. Sexual purity or sin will affect our walk with God significantly. We're never quite sure how God will use this obedience, but we know it matters. Now I have a very fine friend um, who was vicar of a large church in New South Wales and uh, we've spent a lot of time together. Um, when the internet became available to uh, people, um, suddenly uh, it invited um, uh, temptations into people's studies, living rooms, bedrooms um, that were not necessarily there to start with. And uh, my friend struggled with this temptation. Uh, we didn't know this, but in hindsight, uh, that's what occurred. But what we noticed uh, was after this period of struggle, our conversations with him could become occasionally quite blokey um, and not particularly uh, explicit. But I would say sometimes we would let our guards down um, and there were, uh, it, it was a time where we thought, well, 
uh, he's a minister. This is, uh, it's okay to say these things, but it was a time uh, where we noticed that his guard was down at least. As it plays out, we got a phone call uh, a couple of years later from him, which was a very sad call. And uh, he said after his sermon one night, uh, a warden had followed him into the, uh, the uh, back room in the church and said, we need to have a chat. Um, I know you've been having an affair um, and uh, you need to deal with it. So the next, guy, uh, the next day, my friend uh, drove to the bishop and handed in his uh, licence uh, and that was the end of his ministry from that day. Um, he had to rebuild uh, his life. Thankfully, he was able to save his marriage uh, with his dear wife. Um, in hindsight, we could see the drift in his personal purity. And there was something important that we missed in what was happening to our friend. Uh, he remained in the town that he worked in. He repented and he wanted to show his town people what a fallen man, uh, what repentance looked like for a fallen man. Sexual purity matters to God and it was a key factor in the way Ruth and Boaz handled themselves that night. The next thing I want to point out is that God rescues his people from bitterness and disaster. It's a reminder, uh, this story, um, that God is present with his people and his redeeming and loving heart will rescue us from our troubles. His view of rescue is far deeper uh, than our view, but it's right to call on him in our troubles. God had come to the aid of his people in Judah, and in chapter 1, 8, Naomi implores God, May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. So she's praying for Ruth. Uh, May the Lord grant that you will find rest in the home of another husband. And so we see Naomi progressing from the bitterness, lifting her eyes and actually being able to pray for goodness for her daughter. Now, uh, Sharon and Greg are, are very dear for us, to us and have their uh, large struggles going on at the moment. But I remember the story from years gone by for Sharon and Greg and their business was uh, struggling at the time. And I think uh, the church was quite um, engaged with this story. Um, Sharon and Greg will always include their lives in the lives of the church, which is a great blessing. Um, and the church is praying for uh, um, that their business would be rescued. They have a product called Wilby's Colic Mixture which um, is great for babies and uh, stops them doing baby things, apparently. Um, now, you have heard of Hamish and Andy. Uh, not very useful, uh, but um, quite uh, funny to look at from time to time. 
and um, the, um, it's very interesting because Hamish and Andy came in useful in this story. Hamish is married to a woman called Zoe Foster Blake who had just had a baby and it just so happens she got her hands on some of the Wilby's colic mixture and it had done wonders for uh, the baby and Zoe and Hamish were very very happy about this mixture so much so that Zoe tweeted you've got to get your hands on this Wilby's baby uh, formula uh, it does the job anyway Zoe is an influencer and all of a sudden Wilby's went nuts um, they were putting on extra staff they could not keep control of the phones and it was very obviously an answer to prayer from what was a looming disaster uh, God has great imagination I think um, and he saved them and he will save them again um, so God heard Naomi's prayer he heard the Golby's prayer he will deliver his people in times of trouble we are the apple of his eye we matter to God um, the other thought that I want to bring out of um, this passage is that hoping God's goodness gives birth to bold plans. Now, there's no more dangerous uh, opponent when you're playing, say, team sport um, than you're playing against an opponent who has nothing to lose. So it would be no surprise to see Melbourne come out next year and do extremely well during the season. The monkey is off their back. They've made history. The pressure is off. There's obviously a spirit of boldness in this passage where the clouds are lifting over Naomi and Ruth. They can hardly wait as they sense God's mercy coming after a, scene of, uh, a season of misery. So what can we learn about grabbing hold of life as a child of God what are the things that we know uh, that we're sure about how do we stand we know that we are precious and honoured we know that we're children of God we are co-heirs with Christ and we know that we've been bought at an enormous cost there are two verses that uh, were impressed on me as a child and they're, they're about this um, topic. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. And the second verse is from Jeremiah 29.11. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future. And it strikes me as a brilliant basis to launch into life from. The hope in God's goodness in his promises, um, I think enables us to step boldly uh, into life. He wants us 
to grab hold of life confidently in the knowledge of who we are in him. In their late 70s, my parents, um, much to the family's uh, surprise, um, planned their first ever overseas trip. Um, uh, They were going to Israel, uh, Italy, England, all the places they dreamed of. And um, it raised a few eyebrows in the family because we weren't quite sure whether they were up for it. I know Dad uh, wanted to go to Turkey and stand on the Bosphorus between Asia and Europe, as I think maybe uh, Constantine did. Um, So anyway, we convinced them to uh, have a practice trip before they went overseas to Sydney. Um, and so off they went to Sydney with their newly bought luggage and um, the, all the set up the way they would expect to use it. Um, and they were standing on Wynyard Station. Everything was going well. Dad jumped on the train and Mum hesitated. And at that moment, the door shut and off went Dad. Anyway, eventually they... Uh, they lost the day. They found each other and um, returned home and reported how the practice trip had gone. It was all good. They managed to sort things out. Um, but the family were kind of a little nervous, but they were like, well, good on them. They've never travelled before. They have a love for life, a love for, to see these places they'd learnt so much about. Um, and so they booked, booked their trip and they were off. Now, three weeks prior to this trip, um, all of a sudden we got a phone call from Mum. She wasn't well. Um, she had shingles. And the trip was off all of a sudden. And uh, it, they were very sad. Uh, and they thought, well, um, uh, perhaps the Lord's saying no. But we'll, we'll plan it again and see how we go. So they planned it for 12 months' time. They rolled everything over to the next 12 months. And uh, there was great excitement about this trip, if a little trepidation. Now, two weeks prior to their trip, um, Mum was cleaning out the fish pond uh, at home. I don't know what she did with the fish, but she managed to slip over and cracked her kneecap. And that was the end of the plans. That was the end of their trip. And they said, we had a good go, but the Lord said no. And very quickly, they picked themselves up and decided where they'd put their energy next. It was a bold plan. It was a great plan. And they entrusted it to the Lord. And they allowed him to shut it down. But then they moved on to their next experience. There's no guarantee that our plans will succeed. But if our status is as we believe it is, we pick ourselves up and seek his goodness and direction again. The writer doesn't give us this story to warn us from ever going anywhere near a threshing floor with a nightie on. The story hints at the boldness of hope possible when living life under God's wing. Trust in the goodness of God 
can give birth to bold plans. So what matters to us from this reading? Purity in the inmost parts that we saw in Ruth and Boaz. If you need to clean things up for yourself, uh, you need to do it. Um, that will help you in your walk with God. The beauty of what Christ did on the cross was that we can regain that purity by his forgiveness. Other things that you need to clean up and get back on track with. Something else. God rescues his people. When disaster strikes and life is grim, we hang on to him. But we look for his mercy and we look for the clouds to break up. If this is your position today, take encouragement from Boaz and Ruth and Naomi. We trust in a good God who can rescue people from times of trouble, and he does. God, the goodness of God gives birth to bold plans. Is there an issue that you need um, to make a bold plan about and trust God? Is there a dream? Uh, is there a plan of action? Is there something in your life that you want to be bold about and you want to step into? Here's an encouragement to grasp hold of that. He will direct us uh, and he will shut us down if it's not the right thing. But I think he wants us to be bold and step out in confidence. Where do we need to step into life? Because we have great hope in him. Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, we thank you for the uh, story of Boaz and Ruth. Thank you for their godliness. Thank you that you lifted them out of the depths that they were in and provided for them. Uh, we ask that you would help us uh, with our purity as you go about life. We thank you that you lift us and our friends from seasons of sadness and disaster, that you are merciful. Um, and we pray that you would help us to see where we need to be bold and to step out and trust in your goodness. Um, so we ask that you would help us with these things today. We thank you for this story. Amen.